If you have a Bible this morning, find the book of Luke. And we're going to be in chapter number two, Luke chapter two. Uh, today, we are starting uh, just kind of a three-part little mini-series of messages uh, that we are calling carols, carols. And I'll explain a little bit what that is uh, coming up. But this will be today, um, it'll be our, our Christmas Eve services will be in the same type of theme. And then on the 26th as well, we have normal services here. We're still Christmas themed though on December 26th. Uh, and, and so we're kind of following that. Uh, we're calling this carols, and here's what we are doing with this. Uh, we're going to be looking at some of the most well-known, famous, loved Christmas carols. And what we have found is that the history of a lot of these carols that have been written over time is quite fascinating. Uh, and, and the story and the message that specifically from a lot of these are very powerful and taken straight from the Bible. We're going to look at some of this and we're going to talk it through. And I think this is going to be just a great thing. Uh, on Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at uh, the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And then on the 26th, we're going to look at the song, Away in a Manger. This morning, though, is a favorite of all sorts of people. Uh, it's the song, Oh Holy Night. Anyone say, that's my jam right there, Oh Holy Night, okay? Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand in church. I don't care what you say, but that's okay. Uh, but before we get too far into the service today, I do want us to just uh, take a moment to pray together. And so can I ask you to just stand with me all over this place? And uh, let's just kind of invite God into this moment here, uh, right here, uh, as we open his very word. So let's pray. God, we... We open our hearts today. We sit uh, on the edge of our seats and expecting, expectant of you to speak to us even through your very word. And so, God, we just pray that this would not just be going to church and singing songs, but, God, that this would be more than that. And so, Lord, we just give you this time. Uh, I pray, God, that you would, you would help me and that you would even use me and that Everything that comes out of my mouth would be truth and real and uh, right from your word. And so, God, we just give this to you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Oh, holy night. Oh, holy night. Fan like a fantastic story, fascinating story to this song. I love it. It was actually written in the mid-1800s, and the story goes like this. Are you ready for this? A Catholic priest in France uh, wanted to celebrate with his church the new addition of this massive pipe organ to their facility. Yeah, we don't have those here, but if you've been to Europe and seen them, they are like you know, sometimes 30 feet tall, entire, it's this awesome thing. They got this brand new pipe organ set up, and the priest said, Let, well, I want to celebrate that day, uh, and so we're going to, I want to read a poem that has been written uh, from Luke chapter 2. So he goes, and he finds this local guy who is a poet, a French poet, well-known, famous guy, uh, and his, actually, his name was Placide Capou, or I don't, I, I messed that up, but you don't know either, so we're doing okay, all right? <laughs> And the priest went to this guy and said, hey, I want you to write me a poem. Write me a poem for this occasion right here. And based on Luke chapter 2, because it was actually Christmas time and all of that, uh, the interesting thing was, though, that Placide was not a Christian. In fact, the guy was a proclaiming atheist, 
and not just an atheist. In that town, he was kind of known as, Wikipedia called it, a hellraiser. All right? You can figure that out. Yeah. All right? Uh, Very far from God, the church, and everything to do with that kind of stuff. But he was a great poet. And so he set out, Mr. Placide wrote the lyrics to O Holy Night in French, based on Luke chapter 2. It was read at the church for this celebration. Well, Placide himself thought that his poem was so brilliant uh, that he, he went to a buddy of his uh, uh, who's, who wrote it into a song, all right? And so that's the story. Well, this song just sort of ran through the Catholic Church and began to spread all over. The people loved it. It was viral at the time. If you, okay, there we go. Churches loved it. It took off until a little bit later, a few years down the road, a couple people in the Catholic Church realized who wrote this thing. And they set out to remove this song from history. But at that point, the song had gotten so popular and so loved that it was absolutely impossible for that to happen. That's the start of the story. Another interesting fact about this particular carol is that five decades later, in 1906, a man named Reginald uh, Fessenden, who was a 30-year-old Canadian professor and inventor, he did what many people thought was absolutely impossible. He went out into his garage, he built this massive generator thing that was uh, humongous, and he hooked up a microphone to it and actually broadcast, really, uh, voices for the very first time over the AM radio. Okay? And so he did this. At that point, no one has radios and everything. The only radio stuff was really on ships out in the ocean. Uh, But on Christmas Eve, into his microphone from his garage, he reads Luke chapter 2, spoken into the mic. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree to the census of the Roman world. And he reads that, and then he grabs his violin, and he plays the song, O Holy Night, into the microphone, making the song, O Holy Night, the very first music ever to come onto the radio. That's cool, huh? Yeah, secular, uh, written by this hellraiser, and that gets played on Christmas Eve in America, by the way. Uh, but uh, there's the, in this song, there's a phrase that I want us to just kind of zero in on today. And I hope that every time you hear this song from this point on, every time you sing this song, like that this phrase would just jump out at you and you would remember something. The, the lyrics read, A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And, and as, as I was looking through, uh, through, looking at this this week, the idea of just this weary world, this weary world just sort of jumped off the page at me. Uh, let's read a little bit of the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, and I want to show you some of the weariness of that original story, uh, and then look at a little bit of the weariness of our world and talk about hope here for a few, just a few moments. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, here's what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Verse 6, while they were there, the time came 
for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. We saw that this morning in our kid with the kids, didn't we? There's no room for him in the inn, all right? Uh, all right, now, for a moment or two here, I want us to remove the beauty and the nostalgia of what this Christmas story is with your little finger you know, nativity scene, figurines, and all everything, okay? And let's, let's just take this story for what it really is, okay? And here's what we learn from these seven verses. We're talking about a weary world and really a weary situation that was the very first Christmas story. Number one, Mary is pregnant but not married, Number one in our story, we learn this, she is pregnant but not married. Now think about this for a moment. This is not 2021 America. They are living in a hyper-conservative, extremely religious culture in history. Uh, uh, most scholars actually believe Mary to be a teenager uh, at this point. Hyper-conservative, extremely religious culture, teenage pregnant girl is what we have in the story. Uh, we know this was a God thing. They didn't know that. The rest of the people didn't know that. Mary and Joseph knew that. In this ancient Jewish culture, just understand how absolutely unacceptable this would have been. This, this is more than unacceptable. You were, you're sometimes kicked out of families for stuff like this. This girl would have instantly become the talk of the town, the gossip at the coffee shop, like the rude looks. The ladies would have sat together at jitters and gossiped about how much of a disappointment Mary was to her parents. Okay, that's funny, but this is the reality of the situation that we have here. We see a beautiful, supernatural event, but it actually starts with an unwed, pregnant teenage girl. In fact, you could use probably just the word weary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, would have experienced, and if she was here today, she probably would have told the story a little bit differently than what we read about. Okay, She's also physically pregnant. Uh, her body is going through all sorts of weird things as a baby grows inside of her. Okay, think morning sickness, achy back, swollen feet, and at this time they didn't even have access to like chocolate-covered pickles and that stuff. I mean, yeah, this is a big deal. But gaining weight, feeling sick, physically tired, okay, we know all of this. Okay, what we know, a teenage girl was pregnant and that was quite weary. What also do we know? We know this, pregnant teenager and her fiancé, uh, are forced to travel 90 miles from where they lived up in Nazareth, down straight south all the way to Bethlehem. Uh, like she sets out on this massive journey. The Bible says they had to travel from Nazareth. That's 90 miles. Like, oh, you're pregnant. Why don't you guys just walk from church here down, downtown Minneapolis? Why don't you just go ahead and do that? Uh, true or false, Mary rode on a donkey. The answer is C. We have no idea. It's not in there. Okay? Maybe, possibly, probably. I don't know. What, e either way, if, you are, if you're like eight months pregnant, ladies, how many of you like walking 90 miles or riding on a donkey 90 miles? What is better? I'm not really sure. Okay? This is just nasty all the way around. Like when you're pregnant, I've heard, it's hard even just rolling over in bed sometimes. <laughs> Let's go walk 90 miles together. This is the story that we have. The word is weary in our, like, the first Christmas. What else do we know from this story? The reason for their travel is to register and pay taxes to the Roman Empire. Okay? Yippee. Yeah. We could, I love that. 
Okay, seriously, pregnant teenagers have to make this crazy journey to pay taxes to a foreign government that is ruling their land. And a register there, that is fantastic. Okay, what else do we know? When they arrive, there is no guest rooms available. There's no place for them to stay. There's no hotwire.com. They do not get this ahead of time. They show up looking for a place. All right, you travel for days and days. Uh, three miles an hour, you're traveling, and you finally get there, and there is nowhere to stay, which leads to number five. Mary gives birth in a place where animals are kept. Listen, if, if Mary was here today her story would come across a little bit different than what we read. I mean, would you agree? This is actually a Christmas story that is filled with a whole bunch of weariness. And we have the beautiful moment of Jesus being born, and we have the angels and, and, and the shepherds and eventually the wise men showing up on the scene. Like, this is, this is beautiful stuff, but seriously, this is a weary, weary situation this, it's, a, it's a tale of difficulty, turmoil, and pain is really what this is. Uh, you, you look up at this list and you think, weary, 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 don't you? It's interesting to think about that, uh, that way. The Christmas story back then was weary. The reality is that we live in a weary world still today. We're living in a weary world. Uh, it's overwhelming sometimes, isn't it? Uh, filled with anxiety, filled with like everything going on in the economy and uh, with our government and relationships are messed up and every third person seems to have some sort of a disease. I mean, that's just the way that life feels right now. Families are struggling. It, for, for so many, it's almost like we're just fighting to stay above water right now. And, and I could go on. Our nation is divided politically. This is no fun. I don't care what side you're on. This is no fun. Would you agree? Come on. It's a mess. With, with all of this, and we're pushing two years of living through a stinking pandemic, and I don't care even what you believe about that and all of your, the opinions we have, it's weary. This is weary. It really is. The media, weary. Fox News, weary. CNN, weary. Everything is weary. I, I, think, I think so many people in our culture and in our church just can relate to this word, this word of weary. Our world, what a weary world. And I love this, I love this line in this song that just, it just says, a thrill of hope, a thrill of hope. And, and of course, the message of the song straight from Luke chapter two, like the hope is that there is a coming Messiah, a Messiah that would one day come and he is here. He's here, the, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices is what we have. I love that. And so quickly, uh, let me give you two things, two things that we have hope in because of the Christmas story. And, and I think that oftentimes people mess this stuff up. In the time of Jesus when the Messiah was born, uh, people didn't understand what the Messiah was actually coming to do. And that's why so many of the Jewish people and the religious leaders, why they eventually kill him. They had a misunderstanding of what the Messiah would, had come to do. And so very clearly here, what... The, the hope that we have in because of the Christmas story, uh, two things that we're going to talk about here just quickly. Number one, the hope of a God that is with us. A hope of a God that's with us. Listen, the hope of Jesus is not a life without trouble. That's not what it is. And in fact, if you are here today and, that you, and you think that 
by trusting in God and by praying enough and by, by living the right way that you will be free from trouble in this life, like you are misinformed. That is not the story of the Bible. Uh, Jesus like flat out said to his closest followers, he says, you will have trouble in this life. And if you didn't know this, only one, only one of the 12 disciples died of old age. And his name was John and he was sentenced to die out on an island all by himself. And he dies of old. 11 out of the 12 disciples are killed for their faith in Jesus. If you think, if you think for a moment that, that the hope of Jesus is freedom from all of the nasty that we live in, that's not what this, it's not what this is. But the hope of God is in a God who is with us, a God who is with us through it all. One of the most famous passages in Scripture uh, from the Bible, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, or maybe you heard the value of the shadow of death is the way the original King James wrote it, okay? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Matthew chapter 1 tells the beginning parts of the Christmas story. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And that word Emmanuel means God with us, God with us. We have a hope in a God who humbled himself, came to earth, lived as one of us, and a God who promises to be with those who put their trust in him, put their faith in him, those who call on his name. And, and, and I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know how things are going in your life and in your family and, and everything that is happening. In your, you know, I don't know how, what your weariness is, but can I, just, can I just tell you there is hope in a God that is with us. There's hope that in a God that is with us, whether you feel it or not, God is with us. And that's a beautiful thing for us to, to, to kind of stand on in our weariness, call on him, reach out to him, learn to rely on his presence in your life because he is right there. We have a hope of a God that is with us. Number two, number two, uh, the hope of a God that saves us. The hope of a God that saves us. Music team, I'm going to have you come. Listen to me right now. The Christmas story is just a piece of the much bigger picture here. A, a story known as the gospel. It's the story of the Bible. The, the word gospel just means the good news. The good news. Uh, and the good news really starts with bad news. Do you want the good news first or the bad news first? I'm giving you the bad news first, okay, whether you pick that or not. All right? The bad news is that humanity is broken, that we are sinful. And not just some, not just the super bad people that you think about, like every last one of us, we are, uh, we are sinful people is the picture that the Bible paints for us. Uh, the book of Romans says there is no one righteous, not even one. This isn't popular to, to talk about anymore. People don't want to talk about and hear the fact that I'm not good and I'm not, okay, all of that. The Bible paints this picture. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news is you are a sinner and you are in need of saving. You're in need of saving. And, and I'm talking about from a spiritual you and God kind of way because your sin has separated you from a perfect God. It's the story of the Bible, but let me show you the good news, and this is John 3.16, which is like the most popular verse in the entire scripture, and there's a good reason for it. It says, for God 
so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's the story of Christmas starts right there. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loves the world that he gave. And whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, it goes on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. We get this word in the scripture and the story of Jesus, the word save and salvation. And that, like, that's kind of a churchy word to be saved. But it's right, it's really right from the Bible. God loved the world so much that even in its nasty, sinful, broken, uh, the, the picture here of a broken humanity, that he sends his very son to save the whole situation here for us. And all who believe in him, all who put their trust in Jesus, will be saved. That's the words of the Bible, will be saved. That right there is why we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is not just about Jesus being born. Christmas is the beginning of a much bigger picture of hope in a God that saves us. It's a beautiful thing. It's a massive thing. That's why we have hope in a weary world. Please stand with me all over this place. God has opened a door for us to be forgiven, to be set free to be in relationship with him he's made a way uh, but we have a part in this it's not that we earn our salvation you don't do good things in order to make yourself right with god it's not about being baptized or confirmed or this type of stuff there's great things that we do in the church but that we get this confused sometimes and things that think that those things save us the reality is the only way you can be forgiven and be right with God is through what he did with his son. He opened the door. You need to say, God, I put my faith in you and I trust what you have done. This is what needs to happen. And for just a moment with every eye closed and then just a head bowed, a time of kind of privacy and reflection here just for a moment before we're done. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I have never made that decision for myself. I've, I've never put my faith and my trust in Jesus. And, and I want to do that today. It's a heart thing between you and God. If that's you, will you just quickly show me your hand? I just want us to, we're just going to pray together as a group. Is there anyone who would say, yes, that's me today? If you're watching this online right now, you can respond to this. It's, it's a moment where you, where you personally just make this decision to accept what Jesus did for you uh, and, and to turn in a way from your life towards him. Uh, anyone in this place that would say, yes, that's me today? church let's just let's just say a prayer together everyone say this with me let's pray father god i give you my life thank you for sending jesus to die for me forgive me of my sins and change my life in your name i pray amen amen come on can we put our hands together and just celebrate that all right hey May your understanding of Christmas be different than it has ever been before as you see the hope in what God has done. May you celebrate that. Uh, thank you so much for coming today. We'd love to see you at our Christmas Eve service. You are dismissed.